Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, a podcast that's all about comic book movies, which you can find at cinematicmultiverse.com. I'm Joe Cunningham, and joining me to help make sense of the comics behind the movies are... Sir Patrick. And Sarah Dobbs. Yep, so no James this week, but Sarah, you are um, a returning guest. A big gap between your two appearances, though, because you were with us all the way back when we did Ghost Rider, which must have been one of our first five or ten movies, I think. Oh, wow. I don't know. I know it was a long time ago. But you you are more, like, horror-inclined than superheroes. Yes. Um, and so we brought you back this week. Well, I mean, do you, do you want to tell the listeners what what, where did, what movie we're going to be discussing this week? I, do I? Um, we are discussing um, 2005's Constantine. With Keanu Reeves. I'm very excited. Um, I thought it would also have, have relevance for Sarah. I thought partly the horror thing and partly because Francis Lawrence is the director of what I assume is one of your favourite films slash series, unless you didn't like any of the ones after the first one. But... <laughs> I did. I did like yeah. uh, Catching Fire particularly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he directed three the last three Hunger Games He did movies, all but the first so, right. one. Yeah. So oh, he okay. did Catching Fire, which is the best one. Which one? That's the, that's the, the water world one, right? The second one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Totally. I've sort of seen all of those movies. They're quite good. I quite like Francis Lawrence. But we'll uh, we'll we'll dig into Constantine um, a little bit later on because before any of that, I'm going to ask Seb to explain a comic book concept. There's a movie fan I just don't understand. And Seb, this is. Um, it's kind of two-pronged here, and I think we've kind of touched on this before, but I still don't really understand either of these characters properly. Um, the first one, and this was suggested by one of our listeners, John, who emailed in and said, could we explain Batmite? And seeing as I just read as well that Mr. Mixelplick, I think that's how you pronounce his name, I'll is going to be... pronunciation in a minute, yeah. <laughs> he's going to be in two episodes of Supergirl coming up. Which sounds nutty and fantastic. So, can you re-explain those two characters and what their deal is? Because I think every time they pop up, I'm like, what is going on here? Yeah, I, I saw the email asking us to explain Batmite, and I was really hoping that you were going to do that one so that I would get the chance to explain Mr. Mixias Pitalik, Um which is the reason The reason I know how to pronounce Mixias Pitalik is that in uh, John Byrne's Superman run, he has him say it, he has him spell it out phonetically so that... Um, 
you can you know how to say it. although when he first appeared uh he was actually known as mr mixes tipolik because like the p and the t were the other way around and i have no idea who changed it or why they changed it so um, i brought up a couple of youtube videos from like some old superman cartoons where he actually mm. says it out loud and he said it out loud and i was like i I don't think I can say that. I don't. I don't I think, think my I mouth think it's, can physically it's varied make those over the years, but it's been sort of standardised, sort of pretty canonically as Mixes Pitlick is what it is now. Um, I mean, the whole point about it is is that it's you know it's supposed to be unpronounceable, um, but it's. I mean, I don't know if I can really explain the origins because I, I really don't know what went through their minds when he was created. The funny thing about Mixes Pitlick is that you would assume that he's a Silver Age character, that he's from that nineteen fifties completely insane era um but he actually predates it he's from i think first appeared in like 1944 he's golden age so he's quite like you know sort of five years or so into superman um and he had he had a different costume and stuff then he had like this kind of brown um suit and hat and he was kind of bald-headed and then in the 50s they changed him to the kind of the yellow and purple the more recognizable suit and the white hair that he's had ever since um but he's basically he's an imp from the fifth dimension um, who has reality warping powers because he's from the fifth dimension um, and he terrorises Superman um, and the only way that Superman can ever defeat him is to get him to say his name backwards so if you can get him to say Kultipatsyuksum um, which I don't know if that is how you pronounce it, but it's how I've always pronounced it. Um, then he'll go back home and he can't come back for 90 days. Wait, he um, has to say it himself or you just say it to him? He has to say it or he has to write it. He has to be tricked into somehow saying or otherwise expressing his own name backwards and then he'll leave. Um, <laughs> it's bizarre. I mean, I don't know what's more bizarre, to be honest. Um, the fact that Mixer's Pitlick kind of was created in the first place or the fact that like he wasn't left as a relic of the silver age but like that that John Byrne decided to bring him into modern day continuity in the 80s and actually like probably the best ever use of him and this is kind of a spoiler well it's a massive spoiler um but um Alan Moore's whatever happened to the man of tomorrow um he turns out to be the baddie at the end basically he's decided to stop being mischievous and has decided to be straight up evil and everything that happens in whatever happens to the man of tomorrow is as a result of Mixes Pitlick going completely evil evil rather than just simply mischievous um so that's who mixes pitlick is and like the idea of him being in the supergirl tv series is bizarre and i don't know how they're going to do it i mean i don't know if they'll have him be diminutive um although if they did it would be a um utterly fantastic opportunity um to get why have i forgotten his name peter dinklage it would be an absolutely fantastic opportunity to get to get peter dinklage in um but well, he might be too famous for a TV show, I guess. But I'm, I'm stunned. Um, I, br- I brought him up on. I brought the character up on like a Superman Wikipedia, and there's three previous live action adapts, like versions of him, and also an animated <laughs> version where Gilbert Gottfried um, voiced him, which <laughs> sat, which seems perfect. So what was he in? I'm just looking. He it was up. In so he's been in the various the cartoons. Superboy was TV he in? Show. He was in, he was I, was in I would have thought he Lois would have been in Clark. Superboy, and he was in. He was in. He and was played Smallville. by Howie Mandel in Lois and Clark. Yeah. And Smallville. <laughs> and he's apparently. been in Smallville. So I've never seen any of those live action. Um, no. Oh, of course, in Smallville, he was a, a foreign exchange student. <laughs> oh. <laughs> he's not from the fifth dimension. That's less, he's from the Balkans. <laughs> that's less fun. Uh, what about Batmite uh, then? Who's more weird of the, of the two characters? So Batmite 
Batmite is basically a knockoff of Mick Chess Pitlick. He's basically a kind of spin-off from him because he's also from the fifth dimension. Um, but Batmite's deal is rather than coming to Earth to uh, try and be mischievous and cause trouble for Batman, um, he idolises Batman and he wants to be a superhero, but he's a bit useless. And so he always causes trouble inadvertently. Um, and that's that's basically Batmite still. Again, Batmite was used in modern continuity, but um, in Grant Morrison's run, in um, at some point I'll find a reason to get you to read Batman R.I.P. And in that, Batmite is basically um, a figment of Batman's imagination, um, who sort of, when he's going particularly mad, Batmite starts to appear um, above his head and tell him things. Now, Sarah, does any of that sound vaguely comprehensible or have you just sat there going what are they talking about I've just been the past five minutes sitting here trying to figure out how to google mixtures pit lick without like literally no idea <laughs> M- mxyzpt okay <laughs> I was like just typing nonsense syllables in it's like no that doesn't exist <laughs> <laughs> I mean I think it, they, were, they turned up in one recommendation that you gave me didn't they Seb and I think from that mini so they uh, oh they you read generations didn't they completely you did you read generations me. yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's actually that's a that's a fun little. So John Byrne obviously likes it because that's John Byrne right that as well. And actually, I mean that story is is a quite nice way to sum them up because um, you have the two of them there and they get sent to the, some aliens send them to vex their opposite numbers. So Mick says Pitlick's up against Batman and Batmite's up against Superman. Um, yes, that's and, it. Yeah, yeah, that's actually quite a fun, quite a fun little story that one. Yeah. Yes. I don't. I'm just looking. I don't think Batmite has ever turned up in live action. So maybe that's. Maybe that's something for Gotham it to would surprise me. Ooh, I would be up for that. I love Gotham. <laughs> but he would have to. He couldn't be Batmite because he couldn't be because oh, yeah, he dresses like Batman. That's yeah. the other thing that Batmite does. He has a little Batman costume, um, which he couldn't really do unless Batmite was a hero in his own right and was the inspiration for Batman in the Gotham universe. <laughs> Maybe that's you know. <laughs> Because Gotham's already kind of doing the Smallville thing of having like literally everybody else appear before Batman does, so you know. Uh, I'm 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 not gonna lie, Seb. I'm still deeply, deeply confused by these two. I, <laughs> I can't all even you, say what, I can't even is... say one of their names. <laughs> all you need to know is that they're um, they're from like well, I mean, Mixus Pitlick's from the '40s, but really, they're Silver Age characters with everything that that entails. They're completely insane, and they they get used now because people have nostalgia for that kind of thing. Okay, well, I'm, I'll look forward to the next time they pop up, or probably I, I imagine the next time I experience them will be on Supergirl. So um, that that's something to look forward to. I don't think they're going to get Dinklage though, Seb. Just just nah, to, so you don't get your hopes up. I don't think they're going to get Dinklage. Um, but we will move on now to uh, our comic book movie news section and. Um, we're going to start off, um, it's fairly obvious, this is the, the one big thing in the superhero world that's happened in the in the last couple of days. We got the trailer for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, the first kind of proper teaser trailer, rather than that rubbish they put out a month or two, ASAP. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that great trailer they put out that wasn't really a trailer, but that great little advanced preview yeah, this movie exists <laughs> but this now is a trailer with actual footage a look at one of the new characters um lots of looks at baby Groot um Sarah did you watch Guardians of the Galaxy because famously you, you for the first time you were on not a comic book movie fan really not a superhero yeah fan. I didn't watch it sorry <laughs> no no interest like, like 
negative interest. Sorry. <laughs> okay, well, we'll go to the other extreme. Seb, how many te- times have you seen Guardians of the Galaxy? Uh, ooh, I don't know. Have like, you lost count? Probably not as many as you'd think, but like probably at least four or five uh, <laughs> all the way through. I think I've watched bits of it in isolation every so often if I need cheering up. Um, I've, I think I've I've probably watched the opening credit sequence like well into double figures. Um, but so so yeah, what did, I mean, what did you think of this? Did it is it expectation meeting does it is it on the level of the first guardians of the galaxy trailer for the first movie Um, i mean i don't think it quite does that and i think a lot of people have you know sort of i think a lot of other people have expressed slightly more excitement over this particular trailer than i did i mean i certainly enjoyed it it did sort of what i would want from a trailer for guardians 2 i think the problem with guardians is there's not a lot that it can do to like raise my expectation for the film any higher now um, I think all all they could really do to make me more keen on on Guardians, like with a trailer or whatever, now is to have like Spider Man in it or something. <laughs> um, that's kind of the level that I'm already at with it. What I did like about this trailer is um, I think it did address like pretty much all of the criticisms that people would have had of the sneak peek that isn't a trailer, but let's call it a trailer. Um, in that you know it had a new. Uh, choice of song it actually showed the new character and showed her interacting with the team mm. um it, it, and she it showed fun. you what's new about the film this time um which the first one didn't really so yeah mantis mantis looks fun at the end of the trailer baby Groot. Yeah. i think everyone is just that's a home run waiting to happen absolutely is it? and actually i think i mean even just by showing him talk at this stage i think was I think already Baby Groot is going to exceed people's expectations of of what Baby Groot was going to be like. Um, But the other thing I mind about the trailer is, I mean, there's like no plot in it at all. I mean, it doesn't even, if you didn't know, it doesn't tell you that Mantis is actually going to be a a team member. So it doesn't even go so far as to show a new character in the trailer and then show them really obviously joining up with the team. Like, you've still got no idea what this film is about. You know, there's going to be a point where they're fighting a massive monster and, you know, there's going to be a point where Rocket's about to set a bomb off. But other than that... um, you know, it manages not to get, you know, in two minutes, it's, it's. I mean, because it is one of the worst things with modern movie trailers is, like, they do a chronological run through the film's plot beat by beat. And I know this is only a teaser, although it's a, for a teaser, it's long. Um, but this doesn't do that. You know, I, I, other than the bits that I've read, because I'm a fan of these things, you know, that I, I am none the wiser as to what this film's actually going to be about. And in the way that the first, the trailers for the first film, you didn't really know that. And I'm, and I'm glad of that, you know. I wanted yeah. to be surprised by it. I mean, I liked the trailer a lot. The one thing I did think, though, was that it was almost aggressively trying to tell you that this movie was just like the first one. And I don't think that that is the case, because like you say, we know there are things that are going to be different about it. We know that Mantis is going to be a team member. And in fact, on the posters, we saw Yondu and Nebula, um, who are absent here. And it's kind of it's kind of like the, the, the trailer is... This is this is the same movie again. Come back, you'll enjoy it. Um, which again, I, I think is fine. But it's um, it's uh, it's it's interesting that it's with withholding some of the kind of other stuff. And really, I think hanging it's hat on Baby Groot going. That's where all your attention's going. We don't need to show you anything else here. And so I well, think I, say, I, th- I think that's I think that's a good thing. You know. Well, it's a fair, I, yeah. I, I think it's I think that they're marketing the movie very smartly. But because you don't, if you know everyone loved the first movie, why show them things that are different about the second one? 
you know, if you don't need to. Like, uh, what what if someone goes, oh, I didn't, like, one of the things that I wasn't a fan about the first movie was Nebula, maybe. Maybe I don't want to see her being more part of the team or more integrated into the plot. Um, yeah, and, and and I guess, I mean, we didn't see, we didn't see Kurt Russell's ego, did we? We, um... <laughs> Just like, we didn't see Kurt Russell's ego. <laughs> if you don't know that ego is the name of his character. Um... um yeah, so I, I mean, it, it really fun, but yeah, you're right. Tells us next to nothing about the film, and I guess what I'm really hoping for with this one is I'm hoping James Gunn comes good on his promise to um, be a little bit fairer with his female characters, um, give them more screen time, give them more interesting plots. Um, don't have jo- don't have jokes, so many jokes at their expense. Mm. Um, which you know I mean that I think that's uh, there's a question mark over the film in that sense because of the fact that there's no Nicole Perlman this time mm. um, so is anyone co-writing it with Gunn or is it just James Gunn writing it this I couldn't time? tell you but I mean James Gunn went out of his way the first time to kind of say that Nicole Perlman didn't really have that much to do with it didn't he yeah so it, which it, I'm not sure I believe but mm. yeah and so, and, and again, I guess the the other thing that I really want from this film is uh, maybe like the first one's fun. It's a great space opera romp. Um, there's not much to to it that goes deeper than that. I guess there's not much more to the story than this is really fun and um, you know well sketched characters, good chemistry, which is all fine and great. I just I I think it'd be interesting if this movie went a little deeper and did more fun thematic stuff and yeah. Maybe maybe had a message behind all of the all of the fun space romping, but we don't know anything about that kind of stuff yet. So maybe it will, maybe it won't. But you know, we're thinking this movie's on track, right? Yeah, I mean it's it it it's the movie that twenty seventeen needs, mm. along with Spider Man Homecoming. <laughs> um. And Sarah, just so our listeners don't forget, you're here. Um, I would I would recommend that you go watch Guardians of the Galaxy. I think you could like it. It's not it's not that superhero. Uh, I keep thinking this and I keep being tricked into watching stuff. So I went and saw Deadpool, which I hated, <laughs> and I went and saw Suicide Squad, which I hated, and I was like, okay, no, I really don't like superhero movies that much. <laughs> to be fair, did I mean did anyone tell you that Suicide that's Squad true, was they didn't. Be good? That's what, that's what concerns well, me there. Yeah, but I did. I mean, it's I, my, it's, sorry, yeah. go on. Listen, it. I, I think you owe it to Guardians of the Galaxy to give it your time if you were willing to give some of your time over to Suicide Squad. Sorry. I know, like, I literally... I, I literally had to go and see Ghostbusters, like, another three times at cinema to balance out my karma on that, that front. I was like, I've paid money to see Suicide Squad, I'm just going to keep going to see Ghostbusters. I, I have a track record of, of not being able to successfully predict whether Sarah will like something or not. Um, although no I, one I do, can. I, no one yeah, can. Your, your, your movie taste is completely ineffable. Um, but you, you're right about Ghost. I mean, I didn't love Ghostbusters quite as much as you, but having just seen it, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Uh, it was really good. Yeah, but I at least felt that I was supporting something good, whereas in Suicide Squad, I felt like I was supporting something bad. Yeah. No, as I say, I mean, I think even our, the, like, I think the majority of our listenership who are probably like recoiling in horror at your general <laughs> attitude to these films, I think they would agree with you on Suicide Squad. Yeah. It was it was my own fault, and also um, I'm obviously a massive hypocrite because I, like I just said, I really love Gotham, and I think that's why I tricked myself into seeing Suicide Squad because <laughs> I kind of thought like I really like Gotham, and that's all about Batman villains, and so maybe I like this film. 
Didn't really work out well. Well, I, I can promise you, Guardians of the Galaxy is better than both of the films you mentioned. So uh, Yeah, but so is Avengers, and Sarah doesn't like that. Sorry, I've just fair. probably caused a load of people to turn off now. I, I apologise. <laughs> yeah, um, you've just killed, tanked your own <laughs> podcast because they're like, how dare you have this person on? <laughs> Thankfully, we're about to talk about a film that couldn't have less in common with the Avengers if it tried. Um, but we do have one more piece of news before that. And, and this isn't new news, but um, I only mentioned it on the mini-sode. We haven't had a main episode since this news broke. Um, Seb, what do you think about this Inhumans TV show? It's off the movie slate. It's going to be on TV. It's going to be eight episodes. It's going to premiere on IMAX screens. It's uh, It's an interesting development for Marvel on TV, isn't it? I can honestly say that I'm almost as interested in an Inhumans TV show as I was in an Inhumans movie. <laughs> uh, it's just, I just, you know, I mean, you know, Marvel are pretty much pulling back from the Inhumans now. Although they are, there are some new comics launches, and they've tried to tempt me towards them by putting Al Ewing on. Um, and there's a the, yeah, there's a Black Bolt series, uh, which I think is the first time he's had actually a solo series. But oh, it's the Inhumans, like. Nobody cares. The only Inhuman that anyone cares about is Ms. Marvel. Mm. And the only reason that she is an Inhuman is because she was launched at the exact same time that tra- that Marvel were trying to make the Inhumans stick. And, that's, and now she's kind of tied down by the fact that she's an Inhuman. Because she could just be someone who got powers and had nothing to do with the Inhumans and could just be her own thing. And, you know, everyone loves that book and that character. Um, but other than her... Nobody cares about, and a few Fantastic Four fans. Nobody cares about the Inhumans. So, stop trying to make it happen, Marvel. Just, just stick with the stuff that works. Well, no, don't just stick with the stuff that works. Like, take chances on new things and do interesting and exciting things. But don't do the Inhumans because they're not interesting or exciting. I've, I mean, I've liked Medusa when I've encountered her in comics. Like characters from the Inhumans have popped up in other things and been quite good. Like, like, um. Because, yeah, was it Medusa was in uh, FF, the, the Matt Fraction FF, I think. Right, okay. Um, and, like, you know, and Crystal from the Inhumans was a supporting character in Fantastic Four way back when, when she was going out with Johnny Storm. Um, you know, as I say, like, Black Bolt, in his own right, is a pretty great character. And when he's in something like the Illuminati, you know, he's, he's, he's really fun to have around when he's around with the other heavyweights of the Marvel Universe. But just the Inhumans in and of themselves as a thing that's just going to be really tough to make stick because it's really difficult to make them relatable. And, you know, that's been like the watchword for what most of Marvel's good movies and TV shows have been, has been like characters that the audience can pretty instantly get on with. See, but and I don't think the humans do that. Do they, do they need to be? Could this not just be like um, a network TV kind of Game of Thronesy show? You know, that, that it's this royal family and you're probably watching political intrigue and infighting and backstabbing and it's it's stuff drawn on a bigger canvas in a superhero universe um and because well, this it, is yeah but this we've is already completely... got that with thor we've got we've got that with asgard but this already. is a tv show this is a this is an eight episode eight hour tv show um that, so it's going to look like a cheap version of asgard <laughs> but also that is going to show on imax screens so presumably with an eight episode order is going to have some kind of budget I mean, potentially, you know, anything's possible, but... I think it's um, interesting. I'm a lot more interested in this now as an ABC TV series than I was as part of Marvel's Phase 3. Fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) Might Um, might just just be me, though. 
I mean, look, you know, as we've discussed many times before, TV shows being what they are, I have trouble getting around in, around to watching all the TV shows about characters that I actually like. I mean, I'm I'm behind with the shows that I actually watch, i.e., Supergirl and Flash. Um, I've completely given up on the Marvel shows that didn't pull me in that are based around characters that I love, i.e., Daredevil, Jessica Jones, and Luke Cage. So the Inhumans are on a hide into nothing. If it's a TV show and it's about characters that I don't care about, they are really far down the queue in terms of me getting around to being interested in them. Fair enough. Sarah, Sorry, any chance that you watch this series? <laughs> um can I put my hand up at this point and say I don't think I even know who the Inhumans are? Well, that's are. the problem. So, a lot of people don't. Well, what's what's the team rundown? So the, um, they, I mean, Joe, do you want to explain them? Well, so <laughs> that, is, uh, you can explain a comic book concept. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Well, so the the little I do know of the Inhumans is that they. So I, when I was recommended early Fantastic Four, they were in there. Um, and so there, there's there's a royal family, um, and the king is Black Bolt, who is a mute guy. There's Medusa, who's the queen, who has like her magic power is her hair uh, that she right. can do stuff with her hair. And then there's a this one member of their family that um, betrays them. Is it Black Bolt's brother Seb? Is that Maximus? I don't even know. Probably. There's yeah. one member. There's like a brother that betrays them, and um... I mean, their, their, their concept is basically that they are a long-established um, like superhuman race on Earth. They go back to an alien race called the Kree. Um, so they're like they were like a secret society. This sort of supremely intelligent and superpowered secret society on Earth that because they were kind of left there by aliens like thousands of years ago, millions of years ago, even, and they they can get powers if exposed to something called the Terrigen Mists. Um, yeah. yeah. It's I basically, they're, is... they're kind of like mutants, but not. That's what Marvel have been trying to use in humans. Because the point about you... But that's you can, not going to be You can get this, the though, powers of an inhuman by being exposed to the Terrigen Mists. So when Marvel were trying to tone down the X-Men, they basically created a load of new inhuman characters. And it was like, that was going to be... You know, because the thing with the thing that mutants gave Marvel was the ability to come up with any new character. This was literally the reason, by the way, why Stan Lee created the X-Men, was that he was running out of ways for people to get powers. So he said, mm-hmm. well, if I say that they're a mutant, then they've got powers and I don't have to worry about how they got them and that's literally how the X-Men came to be and that's what Marvel were able to do for decades was here's a new character with powers oh they're a mutant what they wanted to do from a couple of years ago was here's a new superpower character they're an inhuman um, but it hasn't worked because the inhumans are crap but and that's but that's yeah. that's not what this TV show is going to be that no, the, the TV, TV show will be about the inhuman royal family and like probably the, the, not the comic Earth, tends to guess. be about specific characters well it kind of I don't know. Does it not have to be set on Earth because Earth is where they live? Like they're f- they're from Earth. I thought they were like... originally from the Moon. Um, <laughs> I thought. Well, I thought they were sort of created. At, like the race was created, and then they sort of had the society living on Earth. I don't know. I don't know enough about them. We need we need Steve from Fantastic Cast on to talk about the Inhumans. Yeah, you guys um, are not selling it at all. <laughs> neither are Marvel. I I think the the, the concept sounds like it needs um. A lot of work, but I could I could see it potentially working if they if they find the right the right take on it for TV, which may, maybe they have. Maybe that's the reason why they've moved it from film to TV because they've got a take on it that works there, rather than it got cast aside. <laughs> and ABC were like, "We'll take it, we'll take it, we'll make a TV show out of this." 
Okay. Potentially, but you know, if 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 ABC are going to make a Marvel TV show, then you know what I want ABC to be making. <laughs> it's not season three. I don't think it's going to happen, Seb. Although Haley's show has been cancelled, so maybe Agent exactly. Carter will be back. Yeah, it won't exactly. Be, it won't be though, because there's a reason they cancelled it in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> because it was too good yeah. for, for to be a Marvel ABC show. Mm. Well, the, the one of the best shows on American TV right now is the lowest, the single lowest rated, single lowest rated, which is uh, Crazy Ex Girlfriend, which you should all watch on Netflix. Fantastic. Seconded. Um, yes, really, really good. <laughs> anyway, we'll move that, on. Wasn't that an Uma Thurman movie? Oh, Seb. <laughs> no, that's a future podcast movie, Seb. You're a monster. Oh, it will be, won't it? Yeah. My super ex-girlfriend. Wow. Okay, we will move on now, though, to our spoiler-filled discussion of Constantine. And we'll listen to a trailer first. Cold. Sure about this? No. Mr. Constantine, I'd like to ask you a few questions. I know the circles you travel in. The occult exorcisms. Easy there, hero. That's Dragon's Breath. I thought you couldn't get it anymore. Oh, I, uh, <clears throat> I know a guy who knows a guy. I thought that you could at least point me in the right direction. Yeah, okay, sure. Please. What if I told you that God and the devil made a wager for the souls of all mankind? No direct contact with humans. That would be the rule. Just influence. See who would win. Demons stay in hell. Angels in heaven. They call it the balance. I need to see what you see. You do this, there's no turning back. You see them. They see you. Understand? Okay, so that was a little, little taste of Constantine, which was released in 2005, directed by Francis Lawrence. Um, guys, am I wrong, or does this film have a pretty kind of, like, not great reputation? I couldn't really... I don't, I, I, I don't really have a handle on what people tend to think of this movie, which is which is rare for a film that we do on the podcast. I mean, I, th- I think it had a very mixed reception. Um, like I, you know, it wasn't like universally panned, and I think it's one of these films where you have people who would have no knowledge of the comic coming to it, and those people tended to be quite mixed in their reaction to it because some people were like, "Yeah, this is a pretty decent, 
you know, Keanu Reeves exorcism based movie and other people were like, eh, this is a bit, eh, a bit nothingy, a bit dull. And you've got the people coming to it from comics. And I think probably the reaction from that side was a bit more negative. But I also, I don't think it was like universally negative because I think, I, I think there are basically two kinds of people with this film, which are people who just can't get past the fact that it's just not the John Constantine of the comics. Um, incidentally, like I think I, I, the fact that they pronounce his name wrongly in this is quite useful because it means that I can talk about Constantine, the comics character, and Constantine, the movie character, because <laughs> they're two completely different characters. Um, so there are people who just can't get past the fact that it's so different from the comic. Um, and there are people who know the comic and like the comic, but also kind of quite like the film as well, like for what it is in and of itself. Um, and like, uh, given what a massive fan I am of the comics character, um, it might surprise people that I'm one of the latter. Like, like I don't think it's the greatest movie ever made or anything, but I don't think it's that bad a film. And I don't think the fact that other than a couple of specific instances that we'll get to where there are, there are a few specific things where the comic does that better and it's just unequivocally not as good as what the comic does because it kind of pulls back from it. But other than that, like... I, I don't mind that it's not really John Constantine because I don't necessarily think that John Constantine would work in a movie. And I think what they have here is a character that works a bit better in a movie than the real John Constantine would. So, like, you know, faint praise or whatever, but I, I don't hate this at all in a way that some people who are fans of the comic really did. See, this is going to be interesting, though, to contrast your approach to the movie with Sarah's because Seb I think you would find it very difficult to see this removed from the context of the character however different it is whereas Sarah I assume that you come into this movie knowing next to nothing about the character on the page I mean I'm not sure when I saw this movie when it was released in 2005 that I knew it was based on a comic to be honest with you yeah I pretty much just went in cold Um, Mm. I think I just saw it uh, in the context of those kind of rubbish not quite horror movies that were coming out of the time like kind of the underworlds <laughs> and those kind of you know like the action horror things yeah that there were just tons of like resident evil that was that kind of time as well um so this was just another one of those it was like lots of cg monsters um yeah so i don't i don't know if i knew it was based on a comic but that probably wouldn't have affected whether or not i saw it anyway um i did see it at the time i thought it was all right <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> and what, yeah. did, what did you think when you revisited it for the podcast um, it was weird because yeah, I, I sort of remembered feeling vaguely positive towards it, and then I rewatched it and went, oh, "Yeah, actually, this is quite boring and not very good." <laughs> Sorry, Seb. Um, yeah, I, I did, I, I didn't love it. See, I think I was the opposite. I think I remembered feeling fairly negative towards it. Like it was one of those films that I, I think I ended up buying on DVD because it was, you know, like in a three for twenty deal, and I already had the first two that I wanted. I was like, oh, I'll pick that up as well. <laughs> got the guy from the matrix in that i like um and so i remember buying it not particularly liking it and trading in the dvd so um i had to i had to rebuy it to watch it for the podcast this week and um so i think i was pleasantly surprised because my expectations were so low that i was like oh there's 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 something in this it's it's all right i mean you're totally right sarah it does have that vibe of the kind of you can see why a Hollywood studio would have wanted to make this at the time they made it. Mm. Uh, that it is kind of not quite horror, horror 
Um, it's kind of it's it, it's horror without any horror in it, isn't it? It's yeah. Like, it's 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 about the kind of thing that horror movies are about, but it hmm. doesn't actually have. And I say that as someone because like I I can't cope with most horror films, but you know I have no problem watching this because it's not actually a horror film. It's just it's just set in the same type of thing that some horror films might be. Yeah, it's not scary at all ever. I mean, there's two jump scares that I, I, I'm thinking of when the car crashes into the guy at the start and the flashback to young John Constantine on the bus where the mm-hmm. old lady demon kind of jumps. And, and yeah, they're kind of like, I kind of went, huh. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it, you're right. It has all the trappings of a horror film, but isn't one. And I think maybe that's why, I, I think that's maybe why I, you know, I think you'd, you'd struggle to come out of this movie with any particularly strong feelings either way because I think it's it's competently put together. I think Keanu Reeves is um, a, a good, interesting leading man. Um, the, the direction is... Um, I think Francis Lawrence is a fairly thoughtful director. Um, I don't think he's particularly flashy, but I think he knows what he's doing and why he's doing it. And... Um, you know, there are, there's there's little flashes here and there of bits of artistry and bits of, you know, shots that he's clearly thought long and hard about. Um, but yeah, it, it ends up feeling a bit bland because it's not a scary horror movie. It's not a, it's you know, it's not laced in all comic book mythology or anything like that. And um, it's fairly like downbeat, low key, isn't it? Because you, know, I mean, Constantine is not the most charismatic lead character and then you've got his love interest whose twin sister has just committed suicide and is fairly down and depressed throughout the entire movie um people don't smile in this so it, it it's yeah it's it's hard to get really excited about but also it's i don't, I don't think it's flat out terrible to the point that you're like oh i hate this movie no it's just stunningly mediocre <laughs> seb could this have been more than stunning the mediocre? Because you were saying you you're not you're not sure that Constantine or Constantine, the comics character, would have worked. So, what what could they have done? Or tell us more about Constantine on the page that would, I don't know, in, uh, inform us how. Yeah, I mean, because why why is what what is so different about Keanu Reeves here other than his appearance and his accent? Is the character fundamentally different here than he is in the comics? Pretty fundamentally different. I mean, the um, the I mean, for a start, kind of the thing about like Constantine in the comics is like he's not really a hero. I mean, he is. He's like the hero of the comic, and you know, there's things that he does that sort of you know, he kind of does the right thing in a in a lot of ways. But equally, like you know, the best way to kind of characterize him is this kind of unscrupulous, um, like inscrutable manipulator. Um, and that's that's kind of how he was certainly like in his early appearances like he because he first showed up in Swamp Thing he was created by Alan Moore um, in Swamp Thing in the early eighties um, he was also supposed to look like Sting back when he first appeared yeah. um, but that that element sort of gradually disappeared when he went into his own title and with the, the role that he kind of played then in and he was kind of in the DC universe at that point as well so he did actually like interact with superhero characters and stuff in the early days um was that he was this kind of mysterious all-knowing guy who sort of flitted in and out of things and you never really knew what his game was and he was always kind of one step ahead of everybody 
Um, when he spun into his own title that was originally written by Jamie Delano, um, he that element was still there, but you sort of started to see the cracks in him a bit more because he was actually the lead character. And what you sort of then got was um, this... Um, this idea that while he is like that a lot of it is a front and it's also something that has led to a lot of instances of his friends and loved one being loved ones being hurt or killed as a result of what he does and sort of you know him often having a sort of greater good attitude towards things and then sort of as the years went on he would you know become a kind of more and more sympathetic character and like kind of Garth Ennis's run which is the sort of really defining run did a lot to to soften him up a bit and kind of bring him through a lot of really sort of crappy events that, that brought him down quite a lot. And, you know, uh, but there's still always that thing of nobody around him would ever really trust him sort of thing. And I think sort of the, the, the key way that the Keanu Reeves version differs is um, like the amount of agency really, because, you know, it's one of the things in this film that like Constantine in the film just sort of, goes from place to place i mean you know he kind of goes around and does a few exorcisms but um you know not a lot of what happens in the film happens because constantine has a plan whereas if you were reading a hellblazer comic everything that happens would happen because constantine has a plan and i think that's really the big difference and like just little things like you know the film has to come up with a reason for him to be condemned to hell now, in the comics, the reason that John knows that when he dies, he's going to go to hell is because he's done a lot of bad things. But in the movie, he's done one specific thing, which mm. is that he tried to commit suicide when he was younger. And it's almost like you you know, you sympathize with him because it's only really on a technicality. And it's like, oh, nothing I can do can balance this out because I did this one thing and I made this one mistake. And, it's like, and that's one of the reasons why I think, I think the comics character is too unpalatable Um you know, to have been the hero in a movie. And, you know, not that movies haven't had some pretty, you know, crappy anti heroes, but I think for for what they for what they wanted to do with this film, um, they sort of couldn't go full pelt on, you know, having him actually be the the really sort of morally ambiguous John of the comics. Um I'd make a comparison with another um film that came out was it was it the same year or was it a year earlier, which was Viva Vendetta, which, you know, um, v is not quite we, obviously we will talk about V in great detail when we get to it but um, v, v is not so flagrantly a terrorist in the film the way he is in the comic um, and it's a similar thing here um, you know I, I read Hellblazer comics and I, and I am on John's side most of the time but you know he's not a great guy all of the time it's the point right I, wonder, I mean obviously there was the there was the TV show last year um, mm. which I didn't watch, but it, it seemed like it kind of... I know, I know it had some hardcore fans, but it's, it's kind of seemed like it fizzled out. Do you think the, the best approach to this character is something like, I don't know, like a an AMC series or an HBO series or a Netflix series rather than, you know, where you can do all of the full-on anti-hero... I mean, maybe kind of like what they've done with Preacher, I'm guessing. I mean, potentially, but I think... I think there's, I mean, another issue with Constantine, I think this is why, like, the TV show for me, what I saw of it, didn't really work, which was, you know, 
they fixed a lot of the stuff that people complained about with this film in that you know he had the right hair color and he was actually from Liverpool although like that the funny thing about that is like people go on about him being a scouser but like when Alan Moore created him he wasn't supposed to be but that was something that was like retconned in later so it's not even if, as if it's as fundamental a thing as some people say and I say that as someone who is you know also a scouser so I like the fact that John Constantine does come from Liverpool um but you know, they so they fixed all this stuff and they gave him the blonde hair and they get you know they made his trench coat the right color and and all that kind of stuff. But um, they still, I think, had to hold back on a lot of the character elements while they did get him a bit closer. And I think as well, like he's more of his time. Like he's he's a really nineteen eighties character. And the Hellblazer comic, when it was at its best in the eighties and early nineties, was also quite political quite frequently. Um, and that's why I think a, a 2000s Hellblazer or Constantine would be quite different anyway. Um, so this is why I'm not sure... Like if I'm not sure there's much you can do to take the Constantine that was so great in those comics and, and give people uh, a movie or a TV show that had that same effect. Like, if I, if I was going to put John Constantine in anything... Um, I would have him... I mean, I know he has shown up in... He was in Arrow, wasn't he? Um, episode, yeah. Yeah, I would put him in something like the, 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 the DC TV universe, but I'd put him back to the way he was in the early 80s when he was, you know, he when he wasn't this kind of raggedy, stub, stubbled guy who you know has got this troubled past and you know all about him. I would have him be a mysterious guy in a sharp suit who flits in and out of things and who's always involved, but you're never quite sure how and you're never quite sure what side he's on. That's the, the Constantine that I think would work, not as a lead character, but as an inscrutable supporting character. that That's how I think they could use him and still make him work, to put him way back to the original intent, which is kind of what they tried to do with the comics in the New 52, and it didn't really come off either. But And that's how he might be if they do Justice League Dark, but they're never going to get that. <laughs> Seb, I enjoy I think you get slightly more scouse when you talk about John Constantine. Definitely. <laughs> Probably. Just, just a tiny bit, but I think you do. Um, Sarah... I, with with all of that kind of stuff, I mean, does that sound like a more interesting character to you than the John Constantine we get in this movie? I mean, do you do you find the lead character here compelling? Do you like Keanu Reeves? Do you like his performance? Um, yeah, I'm not a big fan. I think um, it's just it's all so flat, isn't it? There's just you know, for a movie that is supposed to be about quite big emotions, about um, you know damnation and salvation and suicide, it's, I just didn't feel any of it, and I don't know whether that's his fault. I mean, he's not great at emotions, really, is he? I'm trying to think if there's like a single Keanu Reeves performance I can think of that was like had a convincing emotion in it. Um. Oh come on! <laughs> what, about, what, what about Point Break? No. <laughs> Yeah, all all I can see is just like um, that scene in Knock Knock where he's like, "It was free pizza," and it's just ruined his Keanu Reeves forever. <laughs> uh. You see, I I find Keanu Reeves is kind of like a a Nicolas Cage type almost. That I'm in no way convinced that he is a. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips and adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Good actor, but I find him compelling to watch. Like, uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still remake, which is truly truly awful like took one of the great sci-fi movies oh, of yes. all time and Such a bad yeah <laughs> from scott derrickson director of doctor strange um but i kind of like i i like some of the little weird stuff that he does in it there's a scene i think in that movie where he asks for a tuna sandwich and his line delivery is wonderful so i kind of i kind of like watching him and i think the thing that i like about his constantine you're right all the emotions are really small um, it, and it doesn't seem like he's doing an awful lot with the character. But I do like his kind of just general, like almost like he just doesn't give a shit attitude about everything. Like, or that he's just, he's tired of it. Like he's, he can't be bothered with any of this and he can't be bothered with anyone. And almost that just like, he hates this whole system of like gods and demons and the fact that he's got to try and comply with some bullshit system to get into heaven. It's almost like it's almost like he's the guy that's looking at heaven and hell and demons and all of this stuff and all he's seeing is bureaucracy. He's not seeing he's not seeing this fantastical world that like we as an audience are having opened up to us. He's just like <sighs> I'm ticking another box and I'm filing some more paperwork and God, yeah. will you just let me die and not go to hell? <laughs> that, that's yeah. I that's. I mean, because I I think I think Joe, I definitely probably side more with you on on the Keanu Reeves side of, side of things. But that's because you know I I loved Bill and Ted back when I first saw it as a kid. Yeah. You know, uh, I think I think 
being a Bill and Ted fan from an early age is enough to make you just always want to watch Keanu Reeves mm-hmm. and things. Um, so I've, I've always quite liked him, and I like him in this. I say, I mean, you know, after all, I've just gone on about how I, you know, I don't think that um, that he's anything like the Constantine from the comics. Um, I like the character that they've put in there instead, even though you know there are issues with the fact that the film reaches a point where you're just like, can you please actually have some effect on the plot? Um, but certainly in the kind of first half of the film, um, yeah, that that weariness I really like, and like I don't think you can find many actors who can play that better. Like Keanu Reeves is really good at not really being present and i know that sounds like a backhanded compliment for an actor but you know if you want someone to basically be like a walking hole in a film and again this sounds like i'm actually having a go at him but he but if that's specific if that's not what you want then it's going to be terrible but if that is actually what you want him to do he does that really well and what it reminds me of more than anything and i think this is the kind of the the nub of why I like what this film is doing in that it, you know, it's not really being a horror film and it's not really being an adaptation of Hellblazer. What it's being is an LA noir film. Mm. And what Keanu reminds me of more than anything else in this is um, Elliot Gould in uh, The Long Goodbye. Mm. Now, I know a lot of people really hate that, but that sort of tired private eye in Los Angeles, like it's really got that feel to me. Um, in you know, and there are a lot of points in the film where I feel like that's what they're specifically referencing. Like I feel like the process they've gone through is um, we're making this film uh, about a guy who you know like battles demons and and angels and all of that. Uh, we're moving it to the US because we don't want it to be set in the UK because we don't want to make a British film. So where are we going to put it? Well, we've got to set it in LA because it's Los Angeles, City of Angels. There's going to be all these angels and demons running around. Obviously, it's got to be in LA. And then they've taken the fact that it's in LA and they've decided to make it about the fact that it's in LA. So they've moved it into a genre that fits the fact that it's in LA. And I I, I don't think it completely succeeds at that, but I quite like what it's trying to do. Hmm. I mean, it's got quite a strong sense of place as well. Like, it does... You you don't really forget that it's an LA movie. I like when mm. he like passes over into hell. Hell is like a reflection of the modern world. So I love those, of, that that sequence. That's really yeah. It's a really good rendition of going down the yeah. highway and you can see like the Capitol Records building and all all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I I like that. Um, I do wonder then though. Sarah, what you particularly thought of if you if you didn't like the blandness of Keanu, um, all of the kind of half breed characters that we see on Earth, because it feels like that's where the movie goes. Okay, let's do something a little bit more camp and different. Um, so you've got um, Gavin Rossdale, who <laughs> was, was a member a member of the British rock band Bush. Um, in like one of few, one of his few acting appearances here as Balthazar, you've obviously got Tilda Swinton. We've, we've gone back to back Swinton on the podcast um, after Doctor Strange, yeah. again playing a, an androgynous character um, in uh, the Angel Gabriel, and then I mean when Peter Stormare turns up as Lucifer, um, that is you know that's a performance with a lot of choices being made. So, <laughs> did, did you enjoy the campness of those kind of characters being you know? thrown up against Keanu's passive I mean, I hero. I guess, yeah, I definitely enjoyed them more than I enjoyed his. 
walking hole performance, as Seb put it. Um, I think I would have liked them to even camp it up more. I mean, I don't know. I just feel like if you're actually mm. if you're actually demons, like go for it or angels in um, Tilda's case. But yeah, like give it some, make it. I guess I, I ultimately I wanted it to be scarier, obviously, because I wanted it to be a horror film and it yeah. wasn't. Um, but yeah, if you've got like bug demons and whatever, you know, things skittering around with half a skull and stuff, I guess I just want to experience that more. And maybe Keanu's complete lack of reaction to anything seemed to sort of kill that dead a bit. Like, well, if he's not bothered, then I don't see why I should care. Yeah. Yeah. What I mean to to kind of separate the scariness mm. of the horror from the actual mm-hmm. design of it. I mean. As someone who watches a lot of horror, what what do you think of like the you know the 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 designs of their like you know brainless eyeless demons or the way that the exorcism plays out, for example, or um, I don't know. I'm thinking when like he when Balthazar gets beaten up and then destroyed and his face is moving. Is it, did did you like any of the kind of the the visual aspects of the horror? No, <laughs> that's so terrible. But like this, I just feel like this came along at a point where horror was kind of at the end of a really boring period. So we're post J horror in 2005. We're kind of in that exorcism. I think the exorcism of Emily Rose might've been that year. Um, Another another Scott Derrickson movie. Everywhere. Um, (laughs) And, and also saw had just come out about six months before. So we're about to flip over into a much more extreme and violent period. But like, there were just a lot of these just really Mm. just pallid, um, boring films about people being sad and this just feels like it kind of fits in with that it's just like ugh. Um, I forgot the question the question was about the, the actual design of the horror wasn't it so yeah, I, don't, yeah. I just didn't really feel like it was anything that I hadn't seen elsewhere a million times um, nothing was really like striking particularly I'm trying to just remember anything that stood out uh, and coming up empty I mean, so I guess for you, this this film lives and dies on the fact that it has a horror vibe and a horror aesthetic, but it just fundamentally fails to be scary. Do you think? Do you think the movie itself thinks that it's scary, or is it is it trying to be? Is there, is, it, is this a case of failed execution, or just that Wasn't the movie mm. didn't? Well, it wasn't. Well, it was It wasn't trying yeah. to be what um, you wanted. I think that there are definitely scenes. I'm, I'm thinking specifically of the scene uh, where Constantine and Rachel Weisz, whose character's name I've completely forgotten, but um, they're, they're standing in the middle of the street, and and yeah, exactly. Just There's have a, to one, get this one of them, them. <laughs> one or the other, um, and the streetlights start going off, coming towards them. So they're kind of like, oh, something's coming, something dark's coming, and then the he's kind of like, oh, here we go. Mm. Um, and I feel like you are supposed to have a little bit of a like scared reaction to that like you're supposed to anticipate something nasty's coming and 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 feel a bit yeah. of tension but i don't think that that was particularly effective so i do think it sometimes does try to go for a scare and doesn't quite pull it off um and like yeah or well, the the one on the bus although i think the one on the bus was a little bit more effective um but yeah i think that's probably the closest it yeah. gets isn't it just trying to figure out what 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 it is trying to do and if it was kind of going for a um, more noir vibe. I think I would have preferred it to be more. Like, just, to, just, I just wanted something more, really. And it, it is, it is so low key and so just 
bland and I just think just do something like it never really no. commits to anything does it it's just yeah it's it's never quite sure what it's doing and so there are there are these glimpses of something that it mm. could be doing and it, you know it's like you know the film opens mm-hmm. with him doing an exorcism and then never really goes that way again and you know it's, yeah it's like all all these kind of sequences and I think it's got nice set pieces here and there but all of them feel like something like where you're okay you've done that now do some more of that and it it never really yeah commits to that and it's it, you know it 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 wastes uh Tilda Swinton as Gabriel like i mean this is probably one of those things where knowing a bit more what Gabriel's like in the comics um you know Tilda Swinton could have had a lot more fun with that character than she's allowed to it's like she had she gets that one scene where she gets to say the famous line to him uh, which is one of the few lines, apart from saying you're fucked, which which doesn't say like that is one of the few lines that is like a direct quote from any Hellblazer comic is the, um, you know, you're going to hell for this and you, you're dying because you, you smoked cigarettes since you were a kid and all of that. Um, she gets that one scene and then she pops up at the end and turns out to be the baddie. But mm. there's nothing in between. And it's like, you've got Tilda Swinton, like put something Maybe in between. Maybe they only had it for like a yeah. day. <laughs> I mean, if anything, God, you know, Tilda Swinton would have been a better choice to play the 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 mysterious, not not the Hellblazer John Constantine, but the mysterious John Constantine from Swamp Thing, um, who was supposed to look like Sting. Um, like Tilda Swinton could have played that character standing on her head and done it brilliantly, but instead, yeah, she's just. And you kind of know when you meet her the first time that she's probably going to turn out to be a baddie, mm-hmm. even though she's an angel. Like it, the film, sort of. Is not subtle in how it presents. <laughs> I did keep, I did keep expect, expecting her to go bigger, and you're on your right and have mm. have more of a role because when it's when it when you see Tilda Swinton and because I'd forgotten she was in it, and I was like, oh, uh, this this should be fun, and it is fun, but it's just not as fun as you want it to be. Um, having said that, I think it's the the other extreme with Peter Stormare when he turns up as Lucifer at the end because, like I said, that like visually and everything in that performance he is i mean he rarely doesn't to be fair but peter stormare is absolutely going for it there and um mm. i it was i i i really i really quite quite liked it um i thought i thought this could you know you you're either going to love or hate that performance and i i kind of loved it uh, but am i on my own there um i think it's and you know you'll you'll get this when you come to read some of the comments that this are based on, you'll, you'll see what uh, the devil is. And it's interesting, actually, because because he's he's Lucifer in the film, but in the comics, he's not. And it's... Uh, uh, could I go into the really complicated... Can I can I go into a bit of fun comics explanation? Because this sure. is a really funny situation that you had with DC at this time. So, um, at around the time that Garth Ennis was doing his Hellblazer run, uh, Garth Ennis wanted to introduce the devil as the big bad, basically. Um, and and the dangerous habits arc kicks that off, and and like the devil is basically Constantine's nemesis throughout Garth Ennis's run. Like it's not in every storyline, but as I say, he's like he's he's the Buffy big bad. He's he's there in the background, and every so often he pops up, and then there's the big confrontation at the end sort of thing. Um, the problem that he had is that at the time, 
Hellblazer was still set in the DC universe. It hadn't been hived off into Vertigo and like not interacting with the DC. But Garth Ennis was kind of one of the earliest writers to like have it make no reference whatsoever. Although actually no, because there's a bit where like Zatanna and a couple of other characters do show up. Anyway, um, at the same time, Neil Gaiman was doing Sandman. Uh, which was also technically set in the DC universe for the entirety of its run, even though it did move over into Vertigo. It was still like the events of Sandman are technically part of the DC universe. So Neil Gaiman got there first by introducing Lucifer and having a very sort of Milton inspired Lucifer fallen angel um, type version of the devil and does a big storyline where Lucifer quits hell um and goes off to run a nightclub in la and if this sounds familiar it's because that's the lucifer that the um tom ellis tv show is based on incredibly loosely like he ended up getting his own series written by mike carey the problem is garth ennis wanted to have the devil in hell as the chief villain in his hellblazer run that was going pretty much simultaneously so garth ennis created a character called the first of the fallen and the idea is that the first actually predates Lucifer. So there are there are two versions of the devil, but the first wasn't even in it. Like the first was around in heaven with God, but before God had even created the angels, the first was like his right hand man. And then he got cast out and sent down to hell. And then Lucifer comes along a bit afterwards. And it's like it's such ridiculously awkward twisted contorted continuity and it's the kind of thing where you can see why dc would go yeah do you know what we're going to just put hellblazer in its own little world and not have to deal with anything else so anyway long and convoluted way of getting around to the fact that in the film he's called lucifer but in the comics he's called the first um he's you'll see when you read him in the comics that um i can see stormare's take as a quite good interpretation of that it's just a shame that he's not in it again that he's not in it anymore like for for that performance and for that version of the character and for the antagonism that he has towards Constantine to work, he's surely got to have shown up before the very end because you, you don't get a sense of like oh my god, here he is, he's going to come and take Constantine's soul. He hates him so much. Like Constantine is the one person who he wants to take to hell more than any other. You've, you haven't been shown why that's the case. In the comic that it's based on, there is a very specific reason why he hates... Constantine does something, and that's the reason why the first hates Constantine so much. Um, you don't get that in this. You just, are oh, he's the guy who sends a load of loads of half-breeds back to hell, so the devil wants to come and get him. And it's just... And I, I do, I like that scene. I like the way Stamari plays it in that scene. I just wish that he'd had the chance to be the villain throughout the film, rather than just popping up right at the very end. Um... I I kind of like the I kind of like the the way he just walks in and out of the film, but the movie does feel kind of confused in in who its villain is because obviously you've got Gabriel, mm. you've got Lucifer. Um, I I was in the um, commentary they were talking about how Balthazar they they originally had this idea that there was going to be like like there's a holy trinity up in heaven, there's a holy trinity down in hell, and Balthazar is kind of the one who is allowed to walk on earth of hell's holy trinity um mm. and um and yeah so he th- there was kind of a little bit there as well um but it's it's confused from it's confused from that point of view that it doesn't really have a clear villain um but also the fact that when it all comes down to it gabriel's doing whatever he slash she is doing and um constantine turns up but doesn't really do anything. In fact, all he really does is get killed 
um and and um and then yeah so all all of the stuff that plays out at the end is it's just incredibly passive from Constantine he's not crucial to the plot and it's interesting and I think the kind of I think all of the threads of the story with the lung cancer and with um Rachel Weisner's sister and all all that kind of stuff kind of weaves together and it's a it's a screenplay that I don't think you can that you probably wouldn't be able to pull threads out of and it'd all fall apart because it, it does seem to it does seem to hold up but not in a really exciting and compelling way it's kind of it kind of it's functional it's fine it works but it doesn't pop now, even if you look at it kind of on a metaphorical level like so Constantine spends most of the movie trudging about being sort of um depressed that he's condemned to hell right so he's just walking around like uh fuck it nothing matters i'm gonna go to hell i'm just gonna die and go to hell whatever i don't care about anything and then he kills himself yeah because he slits his wrist and that's what summons the devil right and then and then that kind of makes everything okay i'm not sure that works yeah because it's already the film's already established that um there isn't anything that he can do um to, to stop himself from going to hell. The whole point is that he attempted to commit suicide and that one act means that he will definitely go to hell. Um, but then all of a sudden, oh, there is, if he performs this one selfless act, that makes it okay. Where does that come from? Yeah, because he just goes, a selfless act. And you're like, what? Uh, I didn't know there was this loophole. I don't know. I, I think his entire conversation with... Um with Gabriel in the first scene is about that. It's about him basically. And he's just found out he's got terminal cancer and he is going to, and he, and so he's dying. And so that's him going, shit, am I still going to hell? And Gabriel confirms, yes, you are. And he says, what can I do to stop that? And she says, no, you're fucked. And then, and then, so he's like, and he's like, the rules don't make sense. It's bullshit. And I think then at the end of the film, so he knows there is a way in, but I mean, it's one of those that he's supposed to not realize it's not a selfless act Mm. unless he realizes Mm. that he's not doing it. Um, So yeah, so I mean, I think it ties together. It's just not, I I just don't think it's very rich. It's not, it's not particularly interesting and it feels it, it, maybe this is it. Maybe it ties together so well that it all feels kind of convenient. Although I do, I do really like as a twist at the end, the devil pulling, uh, physically pulling the lung cancer out of him and saying, no, I'm not letting you go to heaven. I'm willing to take my chances and wait for you to fail again rather than rather than let you die and go to heaven, which I think is a really cool ending because in one way you're like punching the air that like your, your lead character who has had terminal cancer through the entire film is now going to live and f- fight another day. But at the other side, it's a victory for the devil. I think it's quite fun, and I love that. I love the visual of him pulling the black, literally pulling the black sludge out of his lungs. I thought it was great. Yeah, that that is nicely done, and it it does sort of echo um, what happens in the comics when um, when the first cures Constantine of his cancer. Um, it, it's taken to a little bit more of um, an extreme in um, the comics. Um, it, it includes the devil. Um, giving what is one of my favourite lines in any comic when he says, I'm going to cure your lung cancer now, Constantine. Believe me when I say I'm going to make it hurt as much as possible. Um, but I think what's quite disappointing about the way that the the healing of the lung cancer plot is done in the film is it's not 
Constantine tricking the devil into doing that. I mean, sort of, sort of you know, the, the point of, of Dangerous Habits, the comic, is Constantine finds out he has lung cancer. Um, in the meantime, something happens that puts him in opposition with the devil, and he manages with these two things to come up with a way to get the one to solve the other. Um, and the whole point is that it's a clever trick. He has tricked the devil. He's given the devil no recourse other than to um, cure his lung cancer. Otherwise, something absolutely terrible will happen that will have dire consequences for the devil. In this instance, um, the devil cures his lung cancer basically as a kind of uh, a petty revenge. It's, you know, Constantine doesn't intend for the devil to cure his lung cancer. Constantine, The point of what Constantine is doing at that point in the story is to save Angela's sister. It just so happens that that causes him to go to heaven, and the only way the devil can stop him going to heaven is to cure his lung cancer. Now, that, in the context of the film, is a quite nice twist, but equally, um, it's not really Constantine tricking anyone or, or, or his plan kind of, you know, getting him out of a hole. Um, no, I think, it, I think the only bit of cleverness is that he figures out that... Well, he remembers that they say, you're the only soul that the devil will come and claim himself, and so that's... Yeah, so it's like that's his only moment of cleverness. Like so the rest of it, the rest of it's the devil being clever. Yeah, yeah. So in the comics, it sounds like it's Constantine's cleverness to trick the devil into taking away his lung cancer. But in this version, it's sort of the devil's cleverness in in taking the lung cancer away, almost as a punishment. Like, <laughs> yeah, it is. It is a punishment, really, because mm. um, like Constantine doesn't really win. I mean, he you know he saves her sister, but he also yeah. doesn't go to heaven. He has his win taken away from him. Yeah. Mm. But that's what I quite liked. I quite liked that Constantine didn't win, or Constantine didn't win. Um, can we talk about Rachel Vice? Because I really like Rachel Vice, but I, I do and, too. And I actually but, like not really based on this. Well, I, I don't know. I don't mind her in the film. I actually like. I think the character's fine. I think the performance is solid. I just never bought her as a cop. Like I never bought that character as a detective or a cop, and I'm not sure why she needed to be. Because it didn't seem to play into the story whatsoever. Like, is she is she a character that's from the comics, or is she just being? Yeah, she's um, uh, made up for the movie, as far as I know. Um, I don't recall seeing a character like her in the comics, um, unless she maybe is drawn from the Brian Azzarello run, which I don't remember very well. But um, yeah, it's just there's nothing really wrong with Rachel Weisz in this. It's just, it's just kind of quite nothingy. I mean, she has slightly more impact on the film than than Chaz does. In that, at least you know she is like quite central to the plot and stuff. But um, yeah, like you say, I mean, there's there's not really a lot of reason for her to be a cop in that it doesn't really play into how things get solved. Maybe except for the fact that it's kind of how she she runs across Constantine. But I mean, yeah, she's say so Rachel Weisz doesn't really do anything wrong, but she's not really a very well defined character and. Um, it doesn't really work as a love interest because, like, Constantine doesn't strike you in this film as a character who who needs or, or should have a love interest. So, um, yeah, doesn't do anything wrong, but not really very memorable. Right, let's let's you mentioned him. Let's get to Chaz, Sarah. I remember <laughs> the one the one thing when I was asking you guys about you know what the film's reputation was at the time or whatever. The one thing that I always remembered about this film was that people hated Shia LaBeouf, like really hated him in it. Like it was, and I remember all all I could remember about him before the rewatch was that he wore a flat cap, and that I I remember that really bothering me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but is 
is Shia really that bad in this movie? Is he really is he is he really so bad that you know he was the thing that was picked out about this movie and made fun of? No, I think he's been worse since um, that has overshadowed that because he's, he's Crystal so Skull. forgettable. Exactly. Um, he like there's a vast stretch of the movie that when I was watching it in my notes, it just goes, "Where is Chaz?" Like he just gets forgotten about for ages. Uh, why? Why is Chaz? Well, why is Chaz? Yeah, he doesn't do anything. Like, literally, what does he do to? help or hinder at any point ever well he dies so there is there's <laughs> yeah like it's almost like someone needed to die in the movie so and i guess at least that does mean that one of constantine's friends dies which well, is i guess, quite I guess his priest die. his priest friend dies doesn't he yeah mm-hmm. so uh, yeah true yeah, yeah. yeah. i guess the beeman, kind of... beeman, yeah yeah actually so no this film pretty much does do the thing of like all of Constantine's friends die, which doesn't bode very well for Angela. But, but so are you, are you guys kind of with me that Shia himself is, he's not the problem. He's fine. I mean, he's kind of doing his, his even Stevens thing in a Constantine movie. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't, I mean, he's not exactly especially very good, but he doesn't really do anything wrong. Like, the problem with Chaz isn't anything to do with Shia LaBeouf. It's it's more the, the character that he's given. It's just such a pointless character um and you know it is probably one of the elements like even more so than constantine himself that completely deviates from the character of the comics like the kind of the whole point of Chaz in the comics is that he is not in any way connected to what john does or interested in what john does like he's his mate he's a taxi driver he's a burly bloke of the same age as john so that's obviously completely different like he's not like an, an acolyte or a student or anything he's just the lug who drives john around from time to time and every so often finds himself you know on the receiving end of an argument with john um but you know he sort of he knows that john does all of this stuff but he's kind of completely grounded in normality and has like no actual as I say, like no interest or connection in the occult stuff. So, so this character, as he is in the film, is like a, a complete fabrication for the film. That's not necessarily a bad thing in and of itself, like to add a character like that. But I don't think the film actually justifies doing so because, yeah, like Chaz just has no actual effect on on what happens. Justice for Shia, not his fault. Um, <laughs> But just just before we finish on Chaz, did you guys watch all the way through to the post credit scene? No. I, I forgot to this time, but I, I did see it the first time <laughs> I watched it. Okay, so to, to explain it to you, Sarah, and, and remind anyone who hasn't... Uh, who or who has seen it but forgotten, because I've certainly forgotten, at the end of the movie, um, Constantine goes to Chaz's grave and kind of, like, he's he's walking away from the grave and suddenly you hear this noise behind and Chaz comes out of the grave as an angel and then gives this like smouldering look to camera and then flies up to heaven and it is it's possibly the worst thing in the entire movie <laughs> I'm not sure why they did it it doesn't seem like sequel setting up it's it's not a good scene it's, don't don't put it on the end no, I was going to like apologise for not having done my homework properly but actually I'm quite glad that I no, didn't yeah, watch you, that you did right <laughs> oh no you, you definitely did right yeah <laughs> Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything we haven't really hit here. Um, I don't. I mean, we we haven't really talked about the like the spear of destiny, MacGuffin, which I didn't think was very interesting. I did kind of like some of the toys that Constantine gets to play with. Like, I thought one of the more fun set pieces was him beating up Balthazar with the kind of you know Christian brass knuckles. 
And when when the Beeman comes and well Beeman comes and gives them all the, all of the little toys and stuff, I thought I thought all that stuff was kind of fun. It was kind of fun, but it felt just super generic. It was a bit like, well, you get the kind of same thing with Blade or any of those other things where it's just like, all oh, right, and here's the guy who's going to give you your toys and. I did. I, I did quite like things like you know him having the um, the the flamethrower um, with the dragon's breath or whatever, and you know his sort of his his cross based shotgun and stuff. But it's it's not very Constantiney, but it kind of I think it sort of fit in with what they were doing here. At least it was a bit of fun, you know. Well, it's not a fun film, is it? It's not the kind of film that has fun with those kind of things. So when those moments are there. Um, I'm sure there's a moment in his like storeroom of relics where there's like um one of those things that makes a noise, a weird noise like a moo or something. And you're just like, why is that there? And why is that in this movie? Because this movie doesn't have a sense of humor, or or maybe it does. And it's just very, very, very dry. But like, it just yeah didn't seem like it was anyone's having any fun ever. So, was there anything else that you guys wanted to mention before we move on, or uh, are we are we all done with Constantine? Um, we I think we, we mentioned him briefly, but um, I do actually I, I really like having Rossdale as as Balthazar in this. Like I think he is actually one of the elements of the film where um, someone is is really enjoying themselves, and in 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 a lot of ways he is kind of at odds with what anyone else is doing. But um, yeah, I, I I I do like him in this. I think he's, he's over the top, but in a, in a fun way. I like his like he's he's got a he's got a great kind of smarmy asshole look. <laughs> <laughs> he like he looks like a character who should be in a Guy Ritchie movie. Yeah, and I think he um I think he just is indicative of the fact that you know like there is stuff to like about this film. I mean, you know, as as is so often the case when we do these kind of things, I think we've tended to probably focus slightly more on the negative because often those are the more interesting things to pick out. But um the way that I would look at it though is that like if this really wasn't a very good movie at all, then it would have been really easy for me to dislike it because, you know, it's an adaptation of Hellblazer um that doesn't skew very closely to the source material so the fact that i actually tend to come out of this film kind of quite liking it i think you know there there is there is stuff to like i like the kind of i like reeves's performance i like that character i like generally the kind of world weary tone of it and the occasionally ludicrous bits it's you know it's not the greatest at what it does but i mean it it could have been a lot worse you know i think it's aggressively okay i think it's 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 all fine um, there's not an awful lot that I don't like about it. It's just like I said, I think it does a lot of things competently, and not um, and there's not a huge amount of exciting stuff in it. But I also I, I quite like the weary Keanu Reeves. I kind of like the the yeah, like I say, a man who's fed up with heaven and hell bureaucracy rather than anything. It doesn't make for a particularly compelling film, but it makes it makes for a film that I can kind of sit through and go, yeah, that was okay. I don't hate that I spent ninety minutes watching that. I also think it's it is kind of really worth praising the production design like and and I know maybe it can sound like a backhanded compliment to a film if you're actually resorting to <laughs> praising the production design but um I do think you know it's it's got a really good consistent visual tone um there are a few really interesting visual ideas in it like really obviously um that version of hell um even though like 
that idea of hell being a kind of hellified version of a famous city like you know dan Aykroyd spent most of the 90s talking about how that was going to be a, a primary feature of his ghostbusters 3 script only it was going to be um new york rather than la so it does maybe feel like a little bit ripped off from that or maybe just coincidental i don't know um i don't know where in the process that came from but well it was flat out francis lawrence's idea so if I mean, you're accusing him of plagiarism, Seb. That's what I'm saying. Yes, yes, I am. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I would say I think this that this is a film that I... The one thing I took away from it was like, oh, I think Francis Lawrence is, is quite a good director. Um, yeah, it's... And that you can see why he's still making big budget movies today. There are, there are visual um, ideas in there. Yeah. Which are, yeah. Okay, well, I think that's it for Constantine. Uh, Seb, do you want to give me some comic book recommendations based on Constantine, I assume? Yeah, so um, I'll have two recommendations for you. Um, They will both be Hellblazer comics. Um, There are sort of there are there were 300 issues of hellblazer um, before it eventually ended about five years or so ago um, and across those years there were lots of different runs by different writers it was started out by a writer called jamie delano um, then you had garth ennis for a while warren ellis brian Azzarello, paul jenkins mike carey did a very long run on it andy diggle so there's all these runs that i could pick lots of different and varied takes on john constantine from um, instead i'm actually going to pick two arcs from the garth ennis run because it is like the defining constantine run and you could go and read some of the other stuff but i just there are two particular arcs that i'd like you to read for two particular reasons um so the first one is the really obvious one it's called dangerous habits um it's issues i think 41 through 46 of the run it's the first issues that garth ennis did so he did it as a kind of fresh start um on the character you know you can pick that up from the start and never have read a constantine story and it and it should make sense um so garth ennis came onto the title with a bang by having the first issue be john constantine discovering that he had lung cancer and the entirety of the story of dangerous habits is how he gets out of that um and it's similar in some ways to the movie and also very different in a few very significant ways um but it is like I think it's still to this day like the archetypal and probably still the very best John Constantine story. Um, the other thing I'd like you to read now, this does involve basically jumping ahead in Ennis's run um, by about a year in the storylines. Um, so this story arc is called Fear and Loathing and it's issues 62 through to 67. Um, the reason why I want you to jump ahead is um, after um, Dangerous Habits, which was drawn by Will Simpson, um, there were a few kind of shorter stories and shorter story arcs um, drawn by Simpson and a couple of other artists and a guest artist called Steve Dillon. And then as of the Fear and Loathing arc, Steve Dillon took over as the permanent artist. Um, and I wanted to get you to read some Steve Dillon and Garth Ennis Constantine Um partly because um, Ennis and Dylan, who you'll probably know from Preacher as well, like work, worked so well together and, and were a real team. Um, also because um, any listeners listening who don't know this, um, Steve Dillon very sadly and very suddenly passed away um, a couple of months ago. Like a, a, it was a really, really like tragic loss to the to the comics community. You know, he was still working and still turning out absolutely brilliant work. Like he's he's one of like the best artists to have worked in in British comics ever. Um, so I really thought that us doing Constantine would be a nice opportunity for you to get to see some some Steve Dillon art in in something other than Preacher. Um, and I think you've read some Punisher that he's drawn before actually. 
Um, so yeah, so Fear and Loathing um, is, as I say, like the story does jump forward by a year. Um, it's actually Fear and Loathing itself is a four-part arc, but there's two issues before it that were collected in the trade. Um, so you may as well read all six. Um, and it's a, it's probably one of the more the kind of Hellblazer story that kind of goes a little bit more political and sort of clashes the the political side of things with the the magic and the mystical side of things. Um, and I think that with those two arcs together, you'll you'll get a sense of whether you want to kind of go on and, and read the whole long-form story of Garth Ennis's run, which I really think you should because it's just really, really great comics. Garth Ennis was depressingly young when he wrote it, but it's really, really good stuff. Right, fantastic. Um, I think I'm going to slightly twitch when I skip a year's worth of comics. But I'll, <laughs> I thought you might say that. I'll try my um, best. But no, no, it, it, it's fine. Like, I mean, that's how I first read it, because those issues didn't used to be collected in trade. Um, they are now, but right. um, like at the time, um, like the trades used to just go straight to that arc, so you'll be fine. Sarah, any interest on your end from experience? Any more Constantine, Constantine after this? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> the TV, the TV show never, uh, never interested you. Um, I think I was trying to remember the whole time because I had, I was thinking I've seen this character in another, another thing, but I might have just watched the trailer. Maybe. Or did you? Do you watch? Have you ever watched any Arrow? Did you see him no. show up in Arrow? Maybe or. <laughs> Nope. No, no. <laughs> I, I, that's all I've seen of the, that character, and I thought the um, episode where Constantine turns up in Arrow, or where Constantine turns up in Arrow, I thought it was oh. terrible. How do they pronounce um, it? So, do they say I think Constantine. Uh, Constant. I think they say Constantine. Yeah, I think oh, okay. so. I don't know. Maybe we'll get to that show eventually on the podcast, Seb. Mm, I don't think we will. No, will we? No, we won't. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe in ten years' time. If we're still around, we're scrabbling for stuff that we haven't covered yet. Hey, what about that Constantine TV show? We'll do that. I think it's quite far down the queue. Um, anyway, though, so that is it for um, the main discussion. But we do have our final section, which is the pitch. And guys, I thought this week I'd give you two options for things to pitch to me. Um, so it's basically which of the following you'd prefer to see. Would you prefer to see a Keanu Reeves Constantine movie, a sequel to this, so Constantine 2 with Keanu Reeves, or would you rather see Keanu Reeves back playing a different superhero, different comic book character? So it's up to you. You can pitch me either of those kind of movies, a Constantine sequel or Keanu Reeves coming back to coming back to the comic book genre. And um, Sarah, do you want to go first or second? I'll let oh, you choose. I'll go, I'll go first. Why not? Okay. Um, okay. So I had to think about this with my limited knowledge of what superheroes exist. <laughs> um, and I couldn't think of another one that would be good for Keanu Reeves. So I'm going to go with the first option, which is a Constantine 2. Um, I like that because you don't want to see it, but you're just like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just keep him confined to the one the one thing. That'll be fine. Um, and I am pitching a Constantine 2, which is kind of a cheat. And I think... Um, yeah, you, I don't know, maybe you should disqualify me for this, but I think it should actually be based around Gabriel, because at the end of Constantine Ooh. 1, um, Gabriel gets their, his her wings chopped off and becomes mortal. Um, so I think we could have a radically different in tone kind of wacky comedy of Gabriel trying to navigate <laughs> life as a human in Los Angeles. And then, you know, Keanu Reeves could turn up for maybe... I'm going to say three scenes, um, just to kind of rub it in a bit, maybe. So yeah, that's I my pitch. I do like that a lot. You've, you've pitched a wacky comedy with Tilda Swinton, uh, that I, you know, where she used to be an angel and now she's just chilling out on Earth. 
Seb, you can't be confident after that, can you? No, I. I mean, I almost like don't want to put mine forward. Um, I mean, <laughs> like I, it hasn't had a lot of thought anyway because we we only got this one quite close to recording. Uh, I, I I will put it forward because I think that Sarah should win fair and square rather than just winning by default. Um, but yeah, so I think um, I would quite like to. So I'm going for the other tack, the um, Keanu Reeves as another superhero. Um, I could see Keanu Reeves playing Cyclops in a in a rebooted X Men. Um, I don't know why. I just I I think he'd fit the character quite well. Um, so not a lot of thought behind it. Um, apologies, Sarah, for giving you an easy run to the win with something that's actually a really good concept. But um, Keanu was Cyclops. That's fun. <laughs> <laughs> I do quite like that. I could see him. What was the what was the X Men the Grant Morrison X Men stuff that was recommended to me? I could see uh, Keanu yeah, doing X-Men. that kind of. That kind um, of the, Cyclops, the, yeah. the Frank Whiteley style one, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fun, but it's not a Tilda Swinton wacky comedy in LA, is it, Seb? <laughs> it isn't. <laughs> so, no. Sarah, you're right. You did kind of cheat, but also I think like just just well enough within the parameters. And you know, in this age of Hollywood spin-offs here, there, and everywhere, you know, kind of legacy sequels, I I think I think you've uh, I think you've come up with a very strong idea there. And I like, yes. I, I, you know, I think Keanu <laughs> would be happy to show it for two or three scenes, whereas we might not get him for a full movie. So um Sarah wins the pitch this week so that's a that's a tick in the that's a tick in the James column um which I'm sure he'll a rare one first win of 2016 <laughs> Uh well Sarah thank you so much for uh for joining us again on the podcast um is there anything anything you want to plug or let us, our listeners know how to find more of you online Ooh um after slagging off superhero movies they probably won't want to but um i do have a horror movie podcast which is published roughly monthly and um, that's called casting the runes and you can find us on twitter at runes casting excellent so yeah you should you should all go and absolutely do that right now like you've got your (laughs) podcast open presumably it shouldn't be too difficult um (laughs) i I think i should guest on it because i because i don't like horror (laughs) okay you will have to watch at least four in order to uh, join in the discussion. So, so I'm yeah, okay. I don't know. May, you might be so traumatised that <laughs> it wouldn't be worth. I want. I want to make this happen. Yeah. Can we kickstart it or something? <laughs> can we do it for like April, like the April okay. Fool's Day edition? If you can find like, four wussy, yeah. let's talk movies. about this off air. <laughs> let's make it. You know, get let's. I don't know. Instead of kickstarting it, let's get people to donate to charity so Seb can't not do it. Oh. <laughs> that's normally the way you guilt people into doing things they really don't want to do yeah Seb is not on board with this <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, but that is it for this week's show um, if you're enjoying the show then please do subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM or your podcast app of choice and you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash cinematic universe uh, you can find more episodes of the show at cinematicmultiverse.com you can get in touch with us via Facebook, on Twitter, at CU underscore podcast, and send us an email to cinematicuniversepod at gmail.com. Um, and I'd just like to say thanks to the listeners that did get in touch with us following our 100th episode and reach out with some kind words. Um, it was very nice. Um, I think it, it meant a lot to everyone involved with the podcast. And um, hopefully, uh, hopefully, here's to 100 more, I guess. Um, and um, yeah, stick around until after the after the credits, as always, to find out what we're talking about on the next podcast. Because I'm pretty psyched, you guys. 
Yeah. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Who was strong and brave here to save the American way? <clears throat> Cinematic Universe returns in two weeks' time with Captain America, the first Avenger. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout. Because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl, yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.